you know, as I prayed and sought um, the spiritual opinion of some of our staff and team, I, I'm, I really believe that the Potter's House slogan, vision statement, mission statement is not just something that we say. I believe God wants to make you whole. And one of the themes that you're going to see throughout this entire year, Lord willing, especially in this first part, these first several months, is an emphasis on wholeness, an emphasis on being made whole. Do you know that God wants to do that for you? He wants to do that for you. He, he does not want you to be broken. He doesn't want you to live your life broken. He wants to make you whole. And so I'm really anticipating the next five Sundays. And I know um, today's day one. I love when the new year starts on a Sunday. What a way to give God the first of the year. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach how I feel this morning, if that's okay. I know we're all tired, but if you, want, if you can run with me for a little bit, uh, I'm going to run into this thing. And Lord willing, we'll pray a little bit at the end. Uh, but I believe God wants to raise some people up this morning. I want you, if you have your Bible, to go to John, John chapter 11 with me. And, and let, me, let me say this to you as you're turning. You must heal because you duplicate what you demonstrate. You duplicate what you demonstrate. Do you want to know why there are so many broken people running around today? Because somebody demonstrated brokenness to them and it duplicated the same thing in them. You need to heal. And, and, and some of this is, is I'm going to have to be straightforward because I believe God is so committed to seeing you made whole. John chapter 11, I want you to, we're going to start in verse 38. They're going to put it on the screen. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, Lazarus, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I've said this, that they may believe that you've sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now I want you to go to chapter 12, verse 9. Chapter 12, verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they may also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, 
many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Now, Father, I'm asking you that as we sit with your word for a moment, I'm asking you that you would speak to us, that you would enlighten our understanding. God, I'm praying for those who are wounded, for those who are broken. I pray that you would minister to them through your word. And Lord, I'm asking by the end of this day that we have not just put a spotlight on the brokenness, but we have put a spotlight on your ability to make whole. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Before you're seated, look at three people and tell them I'm a threat. I'm a threat and you can be seated in Jesus' name. The first installment of this series that I want to preach to you, I've entitled, I'm a threat. I'm a threat. And to some, that may seem a little um, self-serving. It may seem a little self-worship. But it's actually, I could prove to you in Scripture, it's actually the plan of God for your life. And as we work through this series, I want you to be committed to the process. I want you to be committed to heal. Be committed to be able to look at the broken places in your life and acknowledge that there is work to do. One of our phrases for the year is do the work. And how many of you understand? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this before I even get into the message. Sometimes healing hurts. Sometimes healing hurts. Because you have to drudge up and go back through all of the things that happened. And you have to sit in the ashes of the moment. Healing hurts, but it's worth it. It's worth it. John is not considered one of the synoptic gospels. It is Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are synoptic and John stands alone. There are, I don't have time to completely exegetically dive into this right now, but I want to set you up because I want you to understand the, the, the power that we find in this passage. John, in John, there are seven signs that Jesus, seven major signs that Jesus works. He turns the water to wine. He heals the nobleman's son. He heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. He feeds the 5,000. He heals the blind man. And he causes his disciples to have a great catch of fish at the end of John 21. And the seventh sign is the sign that we have here in John chapter 11 is the raising of Lazarus. Not only do we have one of the seven signs found in John 11, but we have one of the seven I am sayings. Uh, in John 6.35, I'll give you an example. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus seven times in John would say, I am, I am, I am. And one of those is found here in John 11. So of the theological emphasis of John, we find two major points of emphasis intersecting in one story. One of the seven signs and one of the seven I am sayings. Now, I, we read first the account 
when they got to the tomb. Will you go on a journey with me this morning? Because I actually want to go backwards in order to go forward. And I want to start by looking at the journey or the travel to the tomb. Somebody say the travel to the tomb. Luke chapter 11 verse 1, we are introduced to the problem. John 11, 1 said, Now there, were, there, there was a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Lazarus was sick. Something was affecting him. Something was causing him to have the consequence and the weight of pain on him. Lazarus was dealing with what we could only consider to be a physical illness. But how many of you know that pain oftentimes is not just limited to physical illness? Come on, sometimes you can be in pain in your emotions. You can have wounds in your mind. You can have wounds in your spirit. You can have wounds in your soul. Wounds in your emotions. Lazarus was sick. And whatever it is today, what is it maybe? Because I want to say something to you. We cannot be deceived into thinking that just because we are saved, we have been healed from all the things that have happened to us. Because there's a lot of saved people who are living in dysfunction. Because they have chosen not to heal. Mm. The blood of Jesus makes a way. But I have to choose to step beyond the veil into what he paid for. And so we, I want you this morning to drop your pride, drop your arrogance, drop your fear, drop your insecurity. And look at yourself from a true perspective. Because there may be some of you that have been saved for decades that are carrying wounds that precede your salvation. It's awfully quiet in here, I understand. You're carrying wounds that precede your coming to Christ. And, and, and whatever it is today, what is affecting you in the way that Lazarus was being affected? And one of the first steps on the journey to wholeness is to admit and to acknowledge there is something that needs to be made whole. There is something that needs to be healed. And, and, and what I've witnessed in my lifetime and what I've witnessed in my experience in ministry is that oftentimes what happens as pain in our childhood or our teen years, if left unhealed, becomes a part of who we become in our adulthood. It becomes a part of who we become. It because, and, and what you don't understand, what you have to understand, it's not an option, is that if it's left unhealed, it will affect Every area of your life. Come on. It, it, it will, without a doubt, affect your relationships. Come on. 
Some of you have had friendships, you've had relationships, you have had uh, 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 experiences where you have been together with a person, whether in a friendship or relationship, and when intimacy or, or, or closeness, and I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, but I'm talking about closeness. When closeness becomes an option, you start to pull out because you fear rejection because that's what happened to you. It affects every area of your life. There are some of you, I've got to be plain. I know I'm going to say things you're going to think, wow, you have, you have no idea. Truthfully, I probably don't. I probably don't have any idea what you've been through. I don't have any idea the kind of pain that has happened. But I know one who does. And I know one who can heal you. And I know what he told me to say today. Because there are some of you, even in your marriages, you have a problem with intimacy, both in closeness and relationship, and in sexual intimacy because of things that have happened to you. And you wonder, what is the problem? What is the problem? You have unresolved pain. It affects your relationships. It affects and it can affect the way that you parent your children. Some of you that your father walked out on you or your mother walked out on you or you had an abusive father or an abusive mother and you wonder why those tendencies start to creep up. There is unresolved pain. Here's one for you. It will affect your finances. It will affect your, your pain can affect your finances. It, not your finances in the, in the mode of just spending but in in the mode of generosity you carry the pain of poverty all of your life so you were taught let me hoard let me hoard let me hoard and that is not a principle of the kingdom it comes from unresolved pain let me teach you one thing about unresolved pain unresolved pain produces a cycle the first thing that happens is pain then comes fear and then out of fear comes pride. And then out of pride comes insecurity. And it's just the cycle of pain. And we wonder why, Lord, why every time do I get close to somebody or every time I'm, I'm going into a relationship or in a friendship or why when I look at this or look at that, it's not working out the way I want it to. It is because there is a pain that has been left unresolved. It's a pain that's been left unresolved. And so Lazarus comes to this moment. And really, it's not even Lazarus. It's Mary and Martha that have come to this moment with Lazarus who is sick. There is something affecting him. There is something that has attacked him. There is something that has attached itself to him. And there was an acknowledgement that there is pain here. If you're with me, say, I'm there. But... You have to understand that in the journey to the tomb, there is a promise that Jesus walks out before us. So Lazarus is sick. You're, there was a certain man, verse 1, named Lazarus who was sick. Lazarus, if you study out his, his name, Lazarus literally means the one God helps. The one God helps. If you study out Bethany, the place that he was in, it's literally translated to mean the house of misery. Can I tell you something? Pain unresolved will cause misery in your life. 
And if you're not careful, you will choose to set up camp in misery. But here is the promise that even in misery, I am the one that God helps. Even in pain, you are the one that God helps. Even in struggles and woundedness and trials and, 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 and the wounds that life has caused you, I am the one that God helps. It is the promise of his word. The scripture said in Genesis 49, 25, that the God of your father who helps you. Isaiah 50 and 7 said, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a, frit, like a flint and I know that I will not be ashamed in verse 9 of Isaiah 50 he said behold the Lord God helps me Psalm 54 and 4 said behold God is my help and the sustainer of my soul in Psalm 121 the psalmist would say I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help my help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth he will not suffer my foot to be moved he that watches over me does not slumber and and he that watches over Israel doesn't slumber nor sleep. He is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite me by day nor the moon by night. And he will preserve both my going in and my coming out both now and forevermore. And I don't know what pain you have in your life. And I don't know what brokenness you have in your life. And I don't know what's been affecting you in your life. But I can stand here flat footed and tell you I am and you are the one that God helps I am and you are the one of who he is the shade on my right hand and the sun won't smite me by day or the moon by night lift your voice and say I'm the one he helps me he sees me and he says I'm your help in the time of trouble not only am I the one he helps thank you Holy Ghost but I'm the one he loves John eleven three. therefore the sisters went to him saying Lord behold he whom you love is sick verse 5 and 6 now now, now this is a good preaching point and I'm going to preach it like I feel it but I've got to do justice to the word before we move into that verse 5 and 6 it's important that you get this now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Notice with me, he loved them, but he stayed. Now, this does not make sense to our 21st century Americanized gospel of God's love. Because we have been taught because God loves us, nothing bad can happen to us. Because God loves us, nothing ill can come upon us. But the Bible said in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus on the mount of, of the Beatitudes, he says it rains on both the just and the unjust. And so we, we find this dichotomy between God's love for us and having to put that on the canvas of our pain. Because we've been taught if you love me, you won't hurt me. If you love me, you'll never let me go through anything. So, so because of that, this story is hard for us to read. Because it's incompatible with our revelation of his love. 
You with me? It's incompatible. That, that if God loved me, how could he let me have gone through that? If God loved me, why couldn't he have prevented the pain? If God loved me, why can't he just stop it from feeling this way? God loves you more than you can fathom. But sometimes God will not prevent in order to maximize the glory he's going to get out of it. And, and, and we have got to be convinced that God loves us. When I was studying this passage, I had this revelation uh, from the movie Little Rascals. Anybody ever seen it? I had this revelation from the movie Little Rascals that one part of the movie Alpha Alpha is just wooing over Darla and they've got into this, whatever this argument thing was and, and Alpha Alpha's sitting in the treehouse and he's got a flower and he's sitting there and he loves me, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. And I was thinking about that movie and I was thinking, boy, do we have a lot of Alpha Alpha Christians in the church today. Everything's going right in my life. He loves me. Oh, everything's falling apart. He loves me not. I've got joy today. He loves me. I feel depressed today. He loves me not. I feel good in my body today. He loves me. Oh, I feel sick today. He loves me not. And we waffle back and forth. We are double-minded men, unstable in all of our ways. But there comes a moment in time with your walk with God that you recognize his love is not based on this right here. His love was based on a place called Mount Calvary where he showed his love to us once and for all. And so I can stand with my feet flat-footed and say, I don't, if the doctor tells me I'm sick, he loves me. If the doctor tells me I got a clean bill of health, he loves me. If I'm laughing through my day, he loves me. If I've weeped in bed all morning and can't get up, he loves me. If I feel good about it, he loves me. If I don't, he loves me. You've got to be convinced that his love for you is not based on your performance. It is not based on your the news of your life. His love for you is based solely on the fact that he's a good father and he lavishes his love on me. Put the flowers down. Put the notes away and it's not he loves me he loves me not no the word is clear that he loves me in the book of Romans chapter 8 the Bible said what shall we say then to these things it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long and counted as sheep for the slaughter but nay in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for I am persuaded that there is no height nor depth nor angel nor principality nor thing present nor thing to come nor height nor depth no thing present no thing that is past that is able to keep me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord in Revelation 1 and 5 the Bible said unto him who loved me and washed me from my sin in his own blood in 1 John 3 the scripture said behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should should be called the sons of God it is not a wishy-washy flippy floppy love he loves me when I'm 
down and he loves me when I'm up and he loves me when I'm sideways and he loves me when I'm standing on solid ground he loves me when I'm sinking and I might be in pain but here's the promise I am the one that he helps and I am the one that he loves look at two people around you and tell them he loves me and there is no he loves me not He loves me. Herein is the love of God. That while we were yet sinners. Christ died for me. He loves me. And that love is only understood when I re realize and recognize the full coverage that the cross provided for me. He loves me. But he stayed. I, it doesn't make sense. He loves me, but he stayed. He could have prevented it, but he didn't. Those two thoughts aren't compatible to our definitions of love, but I want you to see what love does. He loved him, so he stayed. But then he looked at his disciples and he said, Let's go through Judea again. Now, you keep reading on, you recognize why that revelation is so key to his love. Let us go to Judea again. It was in Judea that they had just left one chapter earlier where the Jews tried to stone him. So Jesus was willing to walk through danger to get to Lazarus. He was willing to walk through the horror and terror that could have awaited him in Judea to get to Lazarus. It was so terrifying that Thomas, the disciple, said, come on, let's go die with him. Read it for yourself. It's right there in the book. Thomas looked at the disciples and said, let's not let him die by himself. If he's going to die, let's go. Let's go with him. Let's go with him. And Jesus marches through Judea. Here, here is the love of God. It's not always that he prevents, but it's that he's willing to go through anything to get to you. He's willing to walk through your doubt, your fear, your anxiety, your worry, your mess to get to you. Let's go through Judea again. And his disciples are thinking, they, they just tried to kill you. Why are we going to go there again? Because I'm the one he loves. I'm the one he helps. And if I'm the one he helps and the one he loves, then Judea is not going to stop him from getting to me. But now we watch as Mary and Martha begin to become like us. Jesus shows up in Bethany of Judea, the house of misery. And in verse 21, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. Has anybody, if we can just be honest in the room, has anybody ever said to the Lord, if you just would have? If, if you just would have, it wouldn't have. If you just would have stopped that person from doing that to me, my life would be all right. If you just would have stopped that person from saying that to me, that word curse would have never been on me. It would have been all right. If you would have just stopped it from happening, my marriage would survive and be all right. Come on, can we be honest in the room? Has anybody ever said that to the Lord? If you just would have healed me, I wouldn't be going through this. If you just, if you just, if you just, anybody, can, can we be honest for just like 60 seconds? Has anybody ever been frustrated with the Lord? Why don't you answer me like I want you to? Why, you said your word, you would do this, you said this, you said that, and I don't see any sign of you doing. If you just would have. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Ah. But there comes a switch, especially in the life of a believer, because she continued, but even now, uh, those words just hit me a little bit differently, but even now, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died, period, but even now, even now what? I believe but even now I know you're able if, if you would have been here to stop it it would have been better but even now I know that you're able and there comes a point in time where you have got to make up in your mind as a believer that even if he doesn't you're still going to trust him even if he doesn't you're going to believe him if you would have been here it never would have happened if you would have touched my body and healed me i never would have gone through this if you would have touched this or touched that my marriage wouldn't be in the shape it's in oh, but i'm making a decision right now that even now i know that whatever you ask of god god will do for you Okay, so, so Martha has a moment of frustration teamed with a moment of belief. A frustrated Lord, had you been here, this could have been prevented, but I know that you're still able. Jesus answers these frustrations with two simple statements. John eleven twenty three, 23, your brother will rise again he will be made whole and then he answers with another statement in john eleven twenty five: 25 i am here's the saying the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he though he die shall live jesus makes sure that martha understands yes he's died but I'm going to raise him up again. And I'm not going to raise him up when everybody else gets raised up. I'm the resurrection in the life right now. Right now. Some of you in this room today, you are Lazarus. And the consequence of your pain and your wound and your unhealed and undealt with pain 
has led you to feel like you're living life in the grave. Today, he's still the resurrection and the life. And he can pick up broken things and make them beautiful again. He can pick up wounded things and make them whole again. He can even pick up dead things and bring them back to life. If you're with me, say, I'm here. So then, then Jesus walks on. And there are so many revelations in this text that we'd be here for hours if I took them all. So we're just we're hopping along to where I felt like the Lord led us. Now, Jesus is about to ask a question. And he looks at Mary now, who has come out to greet him. She's weeping. The Jews have come with her to weep with her. And Jesus asks a question of her. And I believe he asks a question of you this morning. Where have you laid him? Where did you put him? And they said to the Lord, come and see. I, I, you've got to be willing to take the Lord to the place that it happened. I know some of you don't want to bring this up. You don't want to talk about it. But I just I sense there's a grace in the room for God to minister to hurting people this morning. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know what was said to you, what was done to you. But what I know is you can take him to the place that it happened. And so many times we get in moments and services like this and you hear Pastor David talk about God wants to heal people of anxiety and God wants to heal your wound and God wants to give you peace and we accept it without recognizing at some point we got to go to where it happened. And Jesus said, show me where you laid him. Show, and I, just, I, just, I just feel like I need to tell you that this is the year to take Jesus to the tomb where you feel like everything died. Come on, this is the year to take Jesus to the tomb where you feel like your destiny died, where you feel like your life ended, where you feel like your future got derailed. This is the year to take Jesus to the tomb. This is not the year to hear this preacher say, Jesus said, take me to where you laid him. And the people responded, Lord, come and see. This is not the year to look at Jesus in the eye and say, I'm fine, Lord. I got everything under control, Lord. Everything's all right, Lord. No, 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 no. This is the year to look at your life life and say Jesus I'm tired of hiding my pain in the tomb I'm tired of hiding my issues in the tomb I'm tired of burying the feelings and burying the emotions and burying the pain just so I can make it by and put on a facade for everybody else I need Jesus I need you to come to the tomb where I've laid it I need you to come to the tomb where it happened I need to take you to the moment where that word curse was a attached to me I need to take you to the moment where that person touched me I need to take you to the moment where they walked out on me I need you to come to the tomb don't say Lord you can't see it 
because he already knows. He didn't need them to tell him where Lazarus was. He knew where he was, but it was an invitation. Lord, come and see where we've laid him. Lord, you can have complete and total control in my life if you want to see where I had pain. Come on, Lord, I'll take you to the tomb. This is the year to take Jesus to the tomb where you laid it. Some of you in this room this morning, you have already buried your marriage. You've already buried your perceived destiny. You've already buried your perceived future. Ah, but this morning I just hear the Holy Ghost say, where have you laid it? Where did you put it down? Where did you feel like you, where did you have the memorial service at? Where did you have the funeral at? Where did you have the mourning at? I need you to take me to the place that you buried it. And me and you need to have a conversation there. Where have you laid him? And they responded, Lord, come and see. So now all that travel gets us to the tomb Jesus arrives at the tomb and he gives a command he says to the people with Mary and Martha take away the stone now when you read this if you read it without cultural glasses on you'll miss how controversial Jesus is being right now according to historians and scholars and rabbis according to the law of the day it was illegal for a Jew to come within four cubits of a tomb where a dead body had been laid so Jesus has got a bunch of Jews standing around and he says to them, take away the stone. I want you to understand that Jesus was willing to put himself in danger again to get to Lazarus. And he says to them, take away the stone. But roll the stone away. Here's the principle. Because a lot of us will show Jesus, this is where it happened. This is where he's laying. But we're not willing to let him in the tomb. And so the stone of stubbornness lays in front of the tomb. The stone of pain. Lord, I, the stone of fear. Lord, I, I don't, I don't want to go through this. I don't... I don't want to trudge this up again. I don't want to walk through this, Lord. Take away the stone. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't have the strength to move the stone. That's why community is so important. I don't have the strength to get the stone out of the way. Take away the stone. And the Jews are saying, they're like, you're, you're breaking every law. You're breaking the law. And, 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 and Jesus is simply just being what he is. He said, I came to fulfill the law. I didn't come to break it. I came to fulfill it. And notice the stone. He gives the direction in Martha's very first response. But Lord, 
He's been dead for four days. And there's a stench that has started to arise in the tomb. Some of you, I can hear you, but Lord, it happened so many years ago. Lord, it happened so long ago. Lord, it's, it stinks in there. Lord, there's pain in there. The stench that's going to come out of that tomb, I, I don't know that I can handle it. I don't know that I can bear it because it reminds me of what I could have been. It reminds me of what life could have become. I can't take away this stone because I'm afraid of what's in the tomb. It's been so long since I've been in there. I don't want to go into the tomb because I'm afraid. And, and, and herein is the love of God again that he says, I don't care that there's a stench in there. I don't care how many years it's been. He doesn't care how long the body's been laying in the tomb. He doesn't care how long the story's been buried. He doesn't care how long ago it happened. He doesn't care that there might be a stench arise. He simply wants you to take away the stone. Lord, I don't know if I can do it. Lord, I don't know if I can walk through it. Lord, I don't know if I can smell. I mean, just think about it. They're going to smell their dead brother and pull up all the trauma of losing him again. Jesus looks at her and he said, Didn't I tell you that if you would believe, thank you, Holy Ghost, you would see the glory of the Lord? Didn't I tell you that if you just believe, you'd see? The glory of the Lord. And, and, and when Jesus was telling his disciples of Lazarus, he said to them in verse 4 of John 11, this sickness is not unto death. But he died. This sickness is not unto death. Okay, but he died. But that... But... For the glory of God. And that the Son of God might be glorified through it. And, 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 and sometimes God prevents and we don't know it until after. And then there are times that God does not prevent. Because God knows how to get the glory. Okay, I'm going to preach better than I think you're going to come with me. Because I need you to get this understanding. Is somehow, some way, in all of this, God finds a way to get the glory. And that's why we've got to live a life that says, God, get the glory. I don't care what you've got to do. I don't care what it takes. God, get the glory. And there are, we, we live in such a time where his love, again, I'm going to pull on a previous point. His love to us should equal prevention. But in the scripture, his love for us equals showing up when everybody else left. His love for us equals walking through danger and turmoil and snares to get to us. And prevention is not always in the plan of God. I'll show you in scripture with multiple people in the children
children of Israel. Let's start. God tells Abraham, you're going to go into 400 years of captivity. Guess what happens? They go into 400 years of captivity and God didn't prevent it. What about Moses who was a stutterer who couldn't even string a sentence together and God used a stutterer. And what about David who was anointed king but for 15 years after his anointing he ran from Saul and hid in caves and in valleys and in ditches with crazy people. What about Daniel who was thrown into a lion's den all night? God didn't prevent that. Let's step in the New Testament. What about Peter who was imprisoned in Acts chapter 12 for preaching the gospel? God didn't prevent that. What about Paul who was imprisoned and beaten and whipped and chained? God didn't prevent that. But here's the thing about God. He is the master of using what the devil meant for evil and turning it for good. Because here's what happened. The children of Israel were in bondage for 400 years. God didn't prevent it. But God split the Red Sea in half. And guess who got the glory? God got the glory. God used Moses, a stutterer, who was ill-equipped and unqualified. He couldn't string a sentence together. But Moses led two million people out of Egyptian captivity. Why? Because God was going to get the glory. And nobody could say Moses did it. Everybody was going to have to say God did it. Let's talk about David, who for 15 years ran from Saul and was in caves with misfits. And he ran and ran, and yet somehow he still ended up on the the throne of Israel. Why? Because God is going to get the glory. What about Daniel? That God didn't prevent him from the lion's den. But in the morning, when the king went to look for Daniel, he called out, Daniel, are you down there? And Daniel said, long live the king. And Daniel came out of the lion's den. Why? Because Daniel couldn't keep the lion's mouth shut tight. Daniel couldn't keep from being eaten. Only God could do it. And God knows how to get the glory. Now what about Peter, who he didn't prevent from going into prison and he came out on the accord of the prayers of the church and nobody else could have done that but God did it because God gets the glory and Paul who was in prison and writing his letters and beaten and through all of that the gospel of the kingdom endured what about Jesus who lived a perfect life and was killed on a cross of Calvary God didn't prevent it but on the third day God got the glory and I'm telling you now he may not have prevented it he may not have stopped it from happening but he knows how to get the glory from it all somebody lift your voice and shout God get the glory God get the glory get it out of my life get it out of my family's life get it out of my children's life get it out of my home get it out of my pain get it out of my turmoil get it out of my brokenness God get the glory God you can have the glory I don't need it you didn't prevent it and I'm all right with that you didn't stop it and I've come to a I've come to a point that I didn't need you to stop it because now I can say I was broken, I was beat down, I was busted, I was disgusted, nobody knew of me, nobody cared for me, oh but Jesus came and he picked me up and he put me back together, God get the glory. touch five people and tell them God's going to get the glory God's going to get the glory somehow some way I don't know how I don't know when but God's going to get the glory
somehow you always get the glory. Ah. God, get the glory in 2023. Get the glory out of my life. Get the glory out of my brokenness. Get the glory out of using me. Get the glory out of taking dirt and breathing on it and using it for something great. God, take the glory out of this vessel. Take the glory out of this man. You get the glory. You always get the glory. And I don't know what you've been through. But he always. My, my, my God. Some of you need to make this your mantra in the new year. God always gets the glory. Uh, and if God gets the glory, come what may. If God gets the glory, come on pain, we'll deal with you. Come on hurt, we'll deal with you. Come on brokenness, uh, come on let's go to the tomb. If God's going to get the glory, let's take him to the tomb. I shall go by the answer. If God's going to get the glory, let's take him to the place where we laid it. Uh, mm, I feel like I could run through this sanctuary right now. Because he always gets the glory. He always gets the glory. I know it may be tough. I know it may be hard. I know it might be, seem worthless. But he always, every time, all the time, he always gets the glory. And it's no different now than it's ever been. If God got the glory then, God's going to get the glory now. I don't know why it happened to you that way, but God's going to get the glory. Come what may, no matter what goes on, God will always, 100% of the time, get the glory. I can't help it. I feel it deep in my soul. God always gets the glory. Hold on to this pulpit or I'm going to run. <sighs> he always gets the glory. Now watch. Now when he had said these things. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he always gets the glory. And the Bible said he came out bound hand and foot. 
and Jesus said because God always gets the glory loose him and let him go I didn't bring him out of the grave to keep him in grave clothes I didn't bring him out of the grave for him to still deal with the effects of the sickness I brought him out of loose him and let him go and I've got a word for somebody in the room you're not just coming out but you're gonna get free you're not just coming out but there will be no effect of the grave and of the sickness because he is a God who gets the glory and he always makes you whole I didn't anticipate preaching like this, but he doesn't just want to raise you up. That's a miracle in and of itself. But then when the people saw, oh, chapter 12. Now a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there. But they came not for Jesus' sake only. They came to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death why because Lazarus was a threat and what they didn't understand was that they could have put Lazarus to death but Jesus was still in the city and if he raised up Lazarus once he could raise up Lazarus again and I've come to tell you this morning that as we go into 2023 and God begins to make you whole, you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And they're going to want to say, we got to kill them. we got to take them out. we got to put them under. Because if people see what God has done for them, then there are a great many people who are going to come to Jesus. And hey, somehow, someway, God will get the glory. You're not a threat because you're gifted. Ooh. You're not a threat because you've got charisma. You're a threat because he raised you up and he set you free and he made you a testimony to the earth that he is still a God that calls out the dead things from the tomb and raises them up. I'm a threat because I've been made whole.